want to go ahead and jump straight in today. Real quick, there's some new faces in the crowd. So if I have not had the chance of meeting you, my name is Mateo. Everyone say hi, Mateo. <laughs> you guys are so nice. Hi. Um, yeah, if I haven't had the chance of meeting you yet, welcome to New Life Junior High. Welcome to this room of a bunch of 6th, 7th, 8th graders. We come, we worship Jesus, we talk about Jesus. I beat you guys in Foursquare after. It's a great time. I love it. So welcome if this is your first time here or one of your first times here. We are so glad you are here. This is what I need you guys to do. Before we go ahead and jump into the Word, we're going to take a minute to pray. So I'm going to go ahead and close your eyes. And here's a fair warning. This isn't going to be like a 30-second prayer. Like, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. Thank you for this people. Amen. So don't fall asleep on me, but also just try to kind of settle down. Don't talk to your friends. Ignore any notifications on your phone. If you get a Snapchat, it's not important right now, a text, a DM. If your best friend is bugging you, just chill. Just kind of let yourself chill out for a second. So everyone go ahead and close your eyes. Close your eyes right where you're at. Wants to take a minute just to, to pray together. It's so easy that when we pray, we can kind of come in and just throw all of our requests at God and say all of our words, and then, okay, in Jesus' name, amen, we're kind of done. But prayer is simply a conversation with God, which involves listening to Him. And sometimes in the hustle and bustle of, of school happening and things you're doing at home or homework assignments you have to do or going to practice in the youth group or this rehearsal, this lesson, all the many things create so much noise in our lives. I think the Lord just wants us to take a second just to be still, which I know for some of you right now, like this is the longest you've had your eyes closed besides when you're sleeping and you're like, oh my goodness, this is so weird. Just let it be. Just kind of chill out. You can take a deep breath if you want. Think about something like really beautiful, the ocean, the beach, mountains. But just kind of slow yourself down for a second. Shh. Try not to get distracted. That's what I want you to do. With your minds kind of still, I want you to try to think about who God is. I want you to try to picture what he's like his character, his nature. Maybe you've heard that God is a loving God. Think about what that looks like. Does he have a, a warm smile on his face? Is he like a proud dad cheering you on? Whatever it is. Why don't you just try to picture, picture God and with your eyes closed? You're not talking to your friends, not getting distracted on your phones. I want to read a verse over you real quick. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Right now, just think about how God is merciful to you, how he is slow to anger. Some of you in this room, you have the mindset that God is easily angry at you. You come into church and all that you can think about is how you haven't prayed enough, you haven't worshiped enough, you haven't read your Bible enough, you haven't been a good enough Christian, you haven't done all the things. 
and hear tonight that the Lord is slow to anger, that he is merciful, that he forgives you. It's demonstrated for us in Jesus. He is a forgiving God, and he is gracious. He doesn't just forgive you and have mercy, but he gives you more than you could ever deserve. Just think about that. Think about the things that God has given you, the blessings he has given you, how he has been so gracious towards you. He's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Hear tonight that your God is a faithful God, that he's with you, that his presence is with you. And this is what we're going to do. It's going to be super uncomfortable for some of you, but I feel like this is what the Lord wants us to do right now. Just for 30 seconds, don't say a word. Don't get distracted. With those characteristics of God in mind, him being loving and compassionate, merciful, gracious, slow to anger. In your heart, I just want you to think about who God has been to you. Think about how he has been faithful to you. Think about how he has been loving to you. And just kind of focus your thoughts on that. Kind of slow your body down. Without even saying a word, just start to thank Jesus in your heart for who he has been to you. So for 30 seconds, we're just going to sit in silence. I want you just to thank him for who he's been in your life. Just keep your eyes closed. Just put your mind on the Lord. So, Father God, right now, we just thank you for who you are to us. Thank you that you are a loving God. You're a good father to us. You are merciful, gracious, and compassionate. God, tonight I pray that we focus our thoughts on you, our minds on you. Lord, that nothing else would be more important to us than being in your presence tonight. So right now, we pray the words of of the Psalms, that that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We love you, Lord. I thank you for these these brothers and sisters in Christ that I have, your children, who you love dearly. I thank you that you want to speak to them tonight, that you want to meet with them tonight and be with them. We love your presence. We love you. Thank you for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. To some of you, good morning. I think you just woke up. If you just took a nice power nap in God's presence, good for you. You probably need it. But all right, I want to go ahead and jump right in. I can't get my water open. I'm a little 
little thirsty. Okay, if um, you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, or just to kind of recap where we have been, we've been in a series in the book of Exodus. Everyone say Exodus. Wow, that was quiet. Everyone say Exodus. That was nice and loud. Thank you. Um, The book of Exodus. It is the second book of the Bible, and we've been going through the story of Exodus. We've been kind of filtering it through a few lenses. Shh. Calm down, calm down. We've been filtering it through a few lenses. First of all, we see that God reveals who he is throughout the book of Exodus. So when we're looking at the book of Exodus, we see how God reveals himself as the great I am. We see how God reveals himself to be the same God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We see God revealing his character through what he does. Everyone say what he does. Through what he says and who he says that he is. That, that one got quiet. Everyone say, who he says he is. <laughs> My fellows right here. What they said. Thank you, Ashton. Um, so we see God revealing who he is throughout the book of Exodus. But while God is revealing who he is, he's also showing who he calls his people to be, right? So he's not just showing like who he is, but when we find more of who God is, we actually find who we are. So as God revealed himself to the Israelites, what we see is God is actually revealing who he calls them to be as his people. This is important for us because we, as believers in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, you are now part of the people of God. You're part of the church. You are his daughter. You are his son. That means that you are part of the people of God. So God wants you to know who he is and who you are in him. Everyone say in him. And so we, we see those themes of God revealing who he is, revealing who we are. And also we, just, we see this theme of covenant. Who can give me a good definition of the word covenant? We've talked about it a few times. Elias? Okay, that's part of it. Ark of the covenant. I'll talk about that in a minute. What, what does the word covenant mean by itself? Dylan? Nice. Like a pact or a promise. Right on. It's a pact or a promise. When you think covenant, I want you to think marriage. Everyone say marriage. Anybody want to get married in here? It's no time soon. Just <laughs> Some people are like ill and some people are like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Don't do it tomorrow. Bad time, bad time. But when you think the word covenant, I want you to think about marriage. Everyone say marriage. Shh. Calm down. Everyone's got real excited thinking about them being married. Chill out. (laughs) You are 11 years old. You got time. But when we think about covenant, (laughs) he said 14, I'm ready. Uh, When we think about covenant, we think about marriage. That when when a man and a woman step into marriage, they step into a covenant. Everyone's like covenant. Covenant. You see, a covenant is not just a contract, okay? It's not a contract that can just be easily broken, like, oh, yeah, this person messed it up, like, rip up the paper, it never happened. A covenant is a deep relational bond. What Dylan said, it's like a pact. I want you to think about, like, two best friends making a pact that they're going to be, like, loyal to each other as, like, best homies. Or, or Or a husband and a wife making a pact, making a vow that they will always be faithful to each other. They're always love each other. This is important to us because we are people of the new covenant, meaning that because we are believers in Jesus Christ, we get to walk in covenant with God, meaning you have a part to play, but also God's faithfulness is what holds up his end of the covenant. So we have those few things to look at while we take a look 
uh, the book of Exodus. Now, I want us to think about this. We've gone through a lot of parts of Exodus. Hey, guys. Got a lot of distracted people in here tonight. I need you guys to calm down. Chill out. I know maybe like the two minutes of silence got you super wound up. You're okay. But here we go. If you take a look at Exodus as a whole, you kind of see a primary theme developing. Think about like a really good book. That when you read through a good novel, you read through a good story, you see a theme developing throughout the whole time, a pattern that kind of shows a moral. And this is a theme that we see in Exodus, is that the people of Israel are continuously unfaithful. They are continuously unfaithful. They are unfaithful to God. They doubt him. They have fears. They're continuously unfaithful to God. But what we also see is that God is continually faithful to the people of Israel. So when you read throughout the entire book, you see the people's doubts, the people's fears, the people's insecurities, the people's break of covenant faithfulness to God. But what do you see God do? He continues to be faithful. I want us to kind of recap what we've talked about throughout this series on Exodus um, as we kind of finish the book up today. First of all, in Exodus 1 and 2, what we see is that God hears Israel's cry. We see that God making covenant actually means that he makes the first move towards us. We see that the people of Israel had forgotten all about who their God was. They had had 400 years of slavery and like, and, and they're crying out for, for just the ending of their slavery, but they forgot who their God was. But we see God hears their cry and he comes close. This is what we talked about like two months ago about how God hears, how God is a compassionate God, that he doesn't just stand far off saying like, I don't really care about your pain and suffering. Like you figure it out and just get to heaven one day. But God hears our pain and our suffering and he cares. He cares deeply. And so what we see is that in order for us to even have covenant with God is that God makes the first move towards us. Everyone say God makes the first move. So God makes the first move towards us and come. And then we see in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God speaks this man named Moses. Does anyone, number, anyone, anyone remember how to say his name in Hebrew? Moshe. Moshe. Dylan's on it today. We've got Moshe. Everyone say Moshe. It's just, it's just a fun, I think it sounds cooler than Moses, personally. If your name's Moses, I'm sorry. I did not mean to offend you. But Moshe sounds cool. But we see God reveals himself to Moses, and God, God shows who he is. He says, I am who I am, which literally translates to I be who I be. Well done, well done, Reagan. So I be who I be. God is showing that he has always been faithful. Therefore, he will continue to always be faithful, and he's faithful right now. And God has always been loving, and he will always continue to be loving, which means he's loving right now. We, we saw how God's character is permanent. Everyone say permanent. And if you remember this story, God's talking to Moses at the burning bush. If I was Moses, I probably wouldn't have even, like, gone to look at the burning bush. I'd be like, this is terrifying and weird. Like, you, you don't go to, like, the weird thing that's, like, terrifying to be like, I wonder what this is. Like, that's how you die. I would have been like, oh, that's weird. I'd be, I'd be gone. Oh, I must sure. I'd be gone. But what we see is Moses goes over and God reveals himself to Moses as the great I am. And as, as God's revealing himself, he's saying, I've heard the cry of Israel. I'm going to go and deliver them. I'm going to show them my power, my sovereignty. I'm going to show them who I am. And I can picture Moses being like, yeah, by all means, God, like go and like do your thing, like pop off. But then he's like, and then, so Moses, you're going to go and be my messenger. And he's like, say what? Like, no way. What we see here is that even from the very beginning, Israel's leader 
is faithless towards God. Everyone say faithless. God reveals himself to be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God reveals who he is to Moses in a way that is so, so beyond what so many people got to experience in the presence of God. But Moses' first response is doubt. His first response is, is fear. His first response is saying, God, I, I can't do that. Who am I in like? I can't even like talk well. Like I like got an F in like public speaking in like school. Like don't send me. You don't want me. And right off the bat, the leader of Israel is faithless towards God. But what does God do? He remains faithful. Everyone say faithful. So then we see that Moses goes to deliver the word to Pharaoh to let the people go. Think like Prince of Egypt, like the super cool song, like, thus saith the Lord, super cool. But we see Moses goes and he tells Pharaoh, like, let my people go, let them go and worship and sacrifice to me. And Pharaoh's like, no, like, I don't know who this God is. There's no way. And so Pharaoh makes the, the labor of, of the Israelites even harsher. You know what the people of Israel say to Moses? They're not like, bro, like, thanks so much for trying to set us free. They're not like, yeah, this 400 years of slavery thing has been awful. Like, thanks for helping us out. The people of Israel are full of doubt. They're full of faithlessness. They say, it'd be better for us if you never came. We don't even care about freedom. We don't even care about any of this. Like, we'd rather just stay slaves. And we see that God, even in his movement to set his people free, the people of Israel remain faithless. What we see then is God remains faithful. And, and so he sends the 10 plagues. We have like gnats and frogs and all these different things. And then we have the Passover where God spares his people. And eventually the people of Israel get to go to the promised land. Everyone say the promised land. But while the people of Israel are on the way to the promised land, what happens? They come to the sea and they're stuck and, and Pharaoh's army comes behind them. Do you remember what they said to Moses? And they're sitting there. They're like, bruh. Everyone say, bruh. That's how I read the Bible. I'd be sitting there. If, if I was a grumbling Israelite, I'd be looking at Moses like, bruh. So you're telling me you brought this on, like, on an eight-hour like, hike all the way out Egypt just for us to die out here? And they literally say, were there not enough graves for us in Egypt? Now, everyone pay attention. Shh. Listen in, listen in. Think about this. They had just seen God do the 10 plagues. They had just seen God do, do miracle after miracle, sign after sign, showing that God was truly God above any of the Egyptian gods, above Pharaoh, above anything else. But they get to the sea, and immediately they're filled with doubt. Everyone say doubt. And the people of Israel are faithless. But what does God do? God splits the sea and shows his faithfulness in delivering the people of Israel. And if you, go, if you continue to go through the book time and time again, you see God's faithfulness in the midst of the people's faithlessness. The people are like, we don't got, like, Lord, like, they start grumbling. We don't even have food. We don't even have water. And God provides time and time and time again. Now we see, we, we get to the law. We, we talked about the Ten Commandments the last few weeks in our series, talking about God revealing what he cares about and revealing his character through the law and then revealing who he wants his people to be in. In Exodus 24, this is where we're going to kind of pick up the story. In Exodus chapter 24, we see the people agree to covenant with God. Everyone say covenant. So what happens is the people say, like, Look, I guess like Moses, like we'll follow God's law, we'll follow, we will be his people, he will be our God. We'll have no other gods. But if you guys know, if you've ever read through Exodus, 
you know, there's little, this little incident with a, a baby cow, a golden baby cow, to be precise. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus 32. We're also going to have it up on the screen. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Very nice. We just got the lights back. Cool. Go ahead and stay focused on your Bible or on the screen. It says, when the people saw... And Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. Right now, Moses is getting the Ten Commandments, and he's having face-to-face interaction with God. It's a beautiful story. When they saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Everyone say, before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron, remember, this dude is like Moses' number two. He's like vice president of Israel. He's like OG. Like this dude like runs the show. And so he's supposed to be a man of God, a priest. Listen to his response as the people ask him to make other gods for him or for them. Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Everyone pay attention to the word gods. This is not singular God, the the one true God. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. So what do we see here in Exodus 32? Exodus 32, if you, if you read it in its context, is one of the most appalling, insane stories in Scripture. Like you're reading through Exodus and when you read the Bible or you grow up like hearing the story of the golden calf, it becomes normal. This is how I want you guys to picture this. Think about the seriousness of this. The golden calf moment is like, is like a young couple getting married and they're like super in love and like, you know, like they just made wedding vows to each other. Xander's making like an icky face. He's like, eh, marriage is cute. Okay. So they made vows to each other. It's like, I'm going to love you like till death do us parley. I'm going to like take out the trash and wash the dishes and do all these things. Like I'll be faithful to you. And then the, the wife is like, you know, vowing to be faithful back to her husband. And then imagine they go on the honeymoon, like they go somewhere super beautiful, epic. They got the beach, good, good vibes. Like they're enjoying their life. It's like picture perfect. Like you want to see that on Instagram or be real. It's like these people are living the life. But then what happens is three days into the honeymoon, one of them wakes up in the morning and, you know, maybe they're like, a, the, like an early morning person. Any morning people in here? Amen. Amen. Any, any night owls that just hate all the early morning people? It's like, why do you make noise before noon on a Saturday, you idiot? Like, the, my, I'm definitely an early morning person. My wife's a late night person. It's a struggle. It'd be like nine o'clock and I'd be like, babe, I'm going to bed. I'm tired. And she's like, I just woke up. But so, so imagine one, one, of, one member of the marriage, one of the spouses wakes up and has like two or three hours when their spouse isn't awake. And they sit there and they're like, well, I guess my spouse don't love me anymore. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go cheat on my wife. I'm going to go cheat on my husband. Now think about how ridiculous it would be. It's like, all you had to do is just wait for them to like wake up. But also, everyone listen, think about the heartbreak for the person that got cheated on. About the adultery that happens and they, 
they, they thought their marriage was great. They thought their relationship was great. But you have one, one of the members of the marriage going out, cheating, breaking covenant, breaking love to their spouse. Think about how serious this would be. Like if someone did that, we would look at that person in the face that cheated on their husband or wife after like three days on their honeymoon. We'd say like, dude, like why would you do that? Like we would look at that person like you are, you are crazy and, and mean and like an awful person. And this is what's happening with Israel in this story. Evan, lean in with me. Lean in with me. This is what's happening with Israel in the story is that God has just made covenant with the people. And God has been the greatest covenant partner on earth. God's done, ten, he did the 10 plagues to bring the people out into freedom. And he, and he split the sea and he, deli- he literally like rained tortillas from the heaven. That's what I think the manna was, by the way, like some good flour tortillas, not important. But he like rains bread from heaven and there's quail, which sounds a little disgusting, but I bet God like seasoned up, it was good. I don't know. And, he, and, he, and God gives water like God time and time again is showing his faithfulness. Everyone say faithfulness. But then what do the Israelites do? They respond to God with faithlessness. They respond to God with faithlessness. Now, I want us to see God's response to Israel. There's a lot more chapters in Exodus, and I'm not able to go through all of it. We see that God does judge the people of Israel, and God does have anger against the people of Israel. And sometimes we're like, man, why is the God of the Old Testament so angry and so upset? When you think that, think about the whole, like, the, the marriage picture of, like, three days into the honeymoon. God, like, God marries the people of Israel, essentially. He goes into covenant with these people. He invites them into relationship and covenant, and the people go out and squander it. The people go out and commit idolatry. And so God, God does have a righteous anger. He's like, I have given you everything I have. I have, I have provided for you, and I have, I have showed love to you. I have taken care of you. I have literally made a way for you to no longer be a slave with chains on. And yet the people cheat against him. They commit idolatry against God. But we get to Exodus 34, where God responds to the people of Israel as he reestablishes the covenant. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus 34, starting in verse 4. It'll also be up on the screen. Exodus 34, verse 4. It says, So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning. Moses was a morning person, so if you want to be like Moses, be a morning person. Subtle plug. But he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. This is because when Moses saw the golden calf, he like threw the tablets of stone, broke the golden calf, ground it into powder, made the people drink it. Super, super disgusting. Do you guys know that part of the story? Like the people like had to drink the gold. It's disgusting. Anyways, so Moses goes with two tablets of stone in hand. Verse five, it says, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. So the Lord is proclaiming who he is to Moses. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, pay attention to these verses right here, the Lord, the Lord. Remember when it's all caps, all capitals, it means the name of God. It's not just a title, it's his name, his sovereign divine name. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means, everyone say by no means, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I want to I break these few verses down because what happens here in this story that sets up the ending of Exodus is God reestablishes the covenant with Israel. So what happens in the first covenant is that Israel, after like a few days on the honeymoon, basically cheats on God. They build a little baby cow and they worship him. And then they're like, okay, cool. Like this is the, the God that's going to lead us. And so they, they break the first covenant with their idolatry. But we see that God moves to reconnect with his people. He longs for reconciliation. If you read Junior High Retreat, we talked a lot about this word, reconciliation, God exchanging our sin for his righteousness. So God wants to have reconciliation with his people. What you see in this verse is, is, is the first half seems like super positive, right? Like God is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, like forgiving sin and iniquity. Like, like I don't know about you guys, like I love that. Like I read all that, I'm like, yeah, that's a good it's a good God. We get to the second half. And I want us to pay attention to this because if we don't grasp the weight of God's justice and holiness, his love starts to mean nothing. I want everyone to look at me. We talked about this a few weeks ago with the fear of the Lord. If your only picture of God is like he's, a, like, he's like a nice dad, like throwing candy like out to like all of like the people, like, yeah, you get a candy and you get a candy. If God's just about handouts. His, his love is really cheap. Okay, for, for love to really mean something, that means that when, when a covenant is broken, there's very real hurt. There's very real, like, anger that happens. Like, like if my wife were, like, to, to break covenant with me, I, I don't think she ever will. She's great. But if my wife were to break covenant with me, like, what would it say about me of, like, oh, like, babe, you're all good. Like, like you did me really dirty and left me and all this stuff. Like, you're all good. Like, that would be cheap love, wouldn't it? But true love actually costs something. And so this is what God is showing in the second half of the verse. He says, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is what this means. And I want everyone to hear me. Everyone look at me. This is a harsh reality, but this is scriptural, that your sins have consequences. Okay, your sins have consequences. I want to be clear. This doesn't mean that you are not forgiven of your sins if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, when we talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5, a junior retreat, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. But here's the reality, is that sin actually tears our world apart. So when you continue to live in sin, you hurt the people around you. When you continue to live in sin, it actually affects generations after you. Like when you choose to live in sin now and to not deal with the addiction that you're going through and to not deal with, with how you treat people now and to not deal with, with anger that you, that you hold against people, that's going to come out one day. Okay, this, is, this is a serious thing. What we see is that, that our iniquity, our sins actually have consequences. And what God wants is for us to be holy, not because he's just like a demanding, grumpy old man, like telling us all these things of what to do and what not to do. Like God actually cares about us. Like 
When I'm, when I'm struggling with my sin, like I need God to help me with it so I can like, so I can be a better man of God. So I can love him with my whole heart and I can, I can love my wife well. I can love my friends well. I can love my family well. I can, I can actually lead you guys, the people that the Lord has entrusted me well. My sin has consequences and your sin has consequences. And it would actually be unloving. Everyone say unloving. It would be unloving if God were simply just to look over people's sins. We talked about this with the Passover during the 10 plagues. God does look at sin and sin does have consequences and punishment. But here's the truth about our God, that our God is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline or highlight that word. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you were at uh, junior high small groups on Sunday, you, you learned this word chesed. Everyone say chesed. I love doing this. I just hear everyone coughing up like snot from their, from their throat. It's disgusting. If anyone needs to go spit in the trash can, go ahead. I'm just kidding. But we have this word chesed. Everyone say chesed. And this word appears 245 times in the Old Testament. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that the Old Testament is written in the language of Hebrew, and the New Testament is primarily written in Greek. So the entire Old Testament, in the, the whole Old Testament, this word appears 245 times. Because when you see a word appear that much, you know, you know it's important. And, and I want you guys to write this definition down that we're going to put on the screen for this word chesed. I had a professor at my university define it as this. It is God's pursuing covenantal faithfulness and loyalty motivated by love. Go ahead and write that down. I want to I break this down. But, but this word chesed, which is what it was translated in your Bible as steadfast love. It says that he is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. Meaning he, he has more than enough. He's overflowing in this chesed. And this is what this word means. And is God's pursuing covenantal faithfulness and loyalty. So this is what this means, is that God is always going to be faithful and loyal to you. Now, I want everyone to hear me. Everyone listen. As I was praying for you guys and preparing for this message, I, I was in here even before, before service, just right here on my knees at this altar. I felt like some of you needed to hear this, that God is not going to walk out on you. This is, this is like a really heavy word for some of you. Maybe you have a parent that's walked out on you during your life. Or maybe you have, you have a friend who just totally just ghosted you, cut all ties. They're a jerk to you now. And so when you think about relationships and friendships, like what you actually kind of think of is like, I have to be careful with this. I have to be guarded. And what God wants you to know this evening is this. That he is loyal to you. That God is loyal to you. Meaning that, that he is a God that's not going to change or walk out on you or leave you or forsake you. So this is what this word means is that we can go ahead and put that definition back on the screen. But God being, being faithful and loyal means this. Think about, once again, like a, a perfect, a, a beautiful marriage. We don't even have a picture for perfection because it's only in Jesus. But I want you to, to try to think about a marriage of two people faithfully loving each other. It's, it's a covenant. 
And in this covenant, both people agree to choose to love each other, to lay their life down for each other, to do certain things, to show love to that person. And when you say yes to a spouse, you say no to everyone else. Like on May 27th, in this past May, when I said yes to my wife, like I said no to every other person as my spouse. And like you'd be crazy if you thought like marriage is like otherwise. Like marriage is like, yeah, I'm saying yes to Lindsay, but I'm also like saying yes to other people. Like that wouldn't be true marriage. I wouldn't be walking in true covenant. And what, what happens here is when we come into covenant with God, God says, you are my people. You are my people so I want to be your God. And this is the reality. is that God's faithfulness and loyalty is pursuing. Everyone say pursuing. Everyone say pursuing. Now this is what this means. When God, when we talk about God being a faithful God or a loyal God, sometimes we get this picture of, of okay, like if, if that end of the stage is, is God and this end of the stage is me, we think that what God is trying to do is to meet us halfway. Because anyone ever thought about salvation like this? Like, okay, I'm like way over here. And so like God's over there. So like, you know, my, all I have to do is try to meet him halfway. And here's the reality. You can't do that. Okay. We don't, we don't physically have the means to get ourselves to God. Do you know why? Because we are faithless. Okay. When we, when we read about the people of Israel throughout Exodus and we, we look at them like, oh, you guys are idiots. Like the golden calf, really, like you're going to like bow down and like worship like a golden baby cow. Like, I don't know if like any of you guys have done that. I'm assuming none of you ever built a golden idol of a little baby cow. It might like look like a little cute baby cow. But I don't think any of you guys have ever like made a golden calf and worshiped it. Am, Am I right in assuming that? Yes? Yes? Okay. And sometimes we look at the people of Israel and we're like, I would never commit idolatry. Everyone listen to me. Everyone listen. Some of you say like, I would, I would never commit idolatry. Like, I would, never, I would never do that to God. Like, Jesus gave everything to me. But I mean, here's the reality. Is that all of us live in idolatry every single day. You and I live in idolatry every single day. Now, it might look different for you and for me. But the reality is that anything that takes priority over God is an idol. Okay, and this is important. I want you guys to grasp this. If your popularity is more important to you, you give more time thinking about it and and trying to get friends for everyone to like you, if that is more important to you than pursuing God, I say this like with grace and love, but also I want to say this with conviction, like that is an idol. For me, growing up when I was in, in middle school and high school, like basketball was an idol for me. Like I wanted to be the best player I could be. I wanted like to get a college scholarship. So my time, my energy, my thought life, like what my life went to was basketball. And it, and it sounds weird to say like, like basketball is my idol. Like I'm not, I wasn't like, like holding up like a basketball, like worshiping it, like singing songs. Like no. But here's the reality. Basketball had more of my devotion and my time and my heart than Jesus did. Some of you might be a relationship year, and your boyfriend or girlfriend is like 10 times more important than your relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it's, it's people liking you. Or whatever it is, the reality is, is that you and I, we live in idolatry every single day. But this is what God's 
God's faithfulness, his steadfast love, his loyalty means for us. I want you guys to hear me. Everyone look at me. What I want you guys to know is that God being faithful does not mean he's waiting for you to go halfway and then he'll do it his half. The reality, God knows that we can do nothing apart from him. Like we can do nothing apart from Jesus. And so if all we have, and if you think about like salvation as 100 steps, like all you and I have to offer is like a lean towards God. That's like the farthest we go is just a little like, okay, like I think I want to believe in God. And friends, hear me. The character of our God is that he goes after you, that he pursues your heart. You're not just another face in the crowd. Like He knows you. He knows you specifically. He calls you specifically. And when he, when he chooses you and you enter into covenant with God, he will be loyal to you. He will not walk out. This is what this verse means. I want to read a verse that's in, in 2 Timothy. Lindsay and Jayla, you guys can go ahead and come on up. In 2 Timothy, verse 11, it's going to be up on the screen. Wait, there we go. It says, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will, he also will deny us. And everyone pay attention here. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, when you are full of doubt, when you are full of doubt against God, or when you are faithless, when you commit idolatry over and over and over again in your life, this is what I want you guys to hear, is that God will remain faithful to you. I have, I have one simple point I want you guys to write down tonight if you're taking notes, and it's this. It's going to be up on the screen. Is that God's faithfulness to you is not dependent on your faithfulness to him. I want you to write this down. God's faithfulness to you is not dependent on your faithfulness to him. Now, this is why this is important. Everyone look at me. It's so easy for us in our relationship with God to approach him like, like, okay, I have to do all these things right or else he's going he's gonna to walk out on me. And for some of you, that's a really real experience. Like you've seen this happen to you before. Or you think, if I don't, if I don't do enough for God, he's going he's gonna to neglect me. He's just going to kind of ignore me. I'm just going to kind of miss my chance. Some of you in this room, you feel like you're already there. Like you feel like you're too sinful that God would even try to have a relationship with you. You feel like you've gone too far. You've done too many things against God. You, you, you live in too much idolatry that God is giving up on you. And friends, I want you to hear me tonight. That God is loyal to you. That God is loyalty, that he continues to be faithful. Our God's statement tonight is God is unwavering. Everyone say unwavering. 
God is unwavering. What does this mean? It means that God's faithfulness doesn't change. It means that God's character does not change. You can start playing, Jayla. That who God is to us, it doesn't change. This is a simple message tonight. And we went through all of Exodus tonight, kind of recapping as we close, as we close our series because of this reason. We see who God reveals himself to be. We see it beautifully in this passage in Exodus 34. God is merciful and he is gracious and he is slow to anger. He's not easily agitated at you. When you, when you commit idolatry and you put your sport or your relationship or your popularity or being really good at something or being really great at school or when you put those things over God, God's not sitting there like, all right, strike one, you're out. God is slow to anger. He is merciful. He's gracious. He is abounding in steadfast love. He's abounding in, in chesed, in this loyalty, in this faithfulness to you. Why? Because he loves you. Why? Because he wants covenant with you. He doesn't just want covenant with a bunch of like random people. Like he wants covenant with you tonight. He wants relationship with you, Tatum. He wants relationship with you, Elias. With you, Xander. With you, Annabelle. With you, Wilson. You're not just another face in the crowd. Like God wants relationship with you intentionally. This is what I want us to do. I want us to, I want us to all come up to the front. Great, we can turn the lights down up here if you can. I want us all just to come to the front on our knees. Go ahead and get on your knees. Get on your knees. We just got a few more minutes. We're going to sing this song, singing about the goodness of our God. That's what I want to call you guys to. Everyone listen, everyone listen. It's so easy for us to kind of like sing like, yeah, God, you're good. Or to hear things like, yeah, God is faithful. Like you guys have probably heard that like 800 times tonight and probably like 8 billion times in church. Like, yeah, God's faithful, God's good, God's good all the time. Like, we say that really easily in church. This is what I want to challenge you guys to do tonight. Is I want you to ask the Lord to search you for where you have been unfaithful in covenant to him. I want you to ask the Lord. I want to do this right alongside of you guys. To ask the Lord, Father, would you reveal to me where I have been unfaithful in my covenant to you? Where I've been unfaithful in my relationship to you? Where I've put other things as a higher priority than you? And this is what I want you guys to do. Everyone listen. Is that that thing in your mind We're going to sing this song about the goodness of our God. And the bridge declares that his goodness is running after us. 
It's this goodness that we were defining up here. It's this, it's this goodness, it's this love, it's this faithfulness that runs after you. And your idolatry, your shortcomings, does not make God stop pursuing you. When you fall short, it's actually an invitation for you to come to repentance and say, God, I need you. God, I repent of my sin. I need you. Remind me that you are faithful. Remind me who you are, that you are a God who is unwavering, that your faithfulness is not dependent on how good I am as a Christian, on what I do or how good I, how, how many times I pray or read my Bible. Remind me that you are unwavering in your faithfulness to me. I want us to sing this song in response to God's goodness in our lives. Because the reality is, is that we have all broken covenant with God. We have all sinned against God. We have all put other things above God in our lives. And God's invitation to you this evening is to forget about everyone around you, forget about what's going on around you, to proclaim that he is good and to set your eyes on Jesus who is unwavering and who is faithful. So let's go ahead and worship together.